Hello, and welcome to Wedge Issues, a politics podcast from the Cap Times. I'm Jesse O'Poyan. And I'm Jack Kelly. Today on the show, we chat with State Senator Kelda Royce. Whether it's serving on the legislature's budget writing committee or advocating for the restoration of abortion access in Wisconsin, the senator is a vocal player in Democratic politics in Wisconsin. We sat down with her to discuss the state's next budget, whether Democrats dropped the ball on abortion access in the years before Roe v. Wade was overturned, and what she's envisioning for her own political future. Here's our conversation with State Senator Kelda Royce. Senator Kelda Royce, welcome back to Wedge Issues. Thank you for joining the show again. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. So as we speak, there's a lot going on, and we're not even going to get into some of it because I bet by the time this comes out, things will have changed. But <laughs> we can at least consistently say lawmakers are still working on the budget. It's in joint finance for discussions now, likely looking at at least $90 billion, depending on what Republicans and Democrats can really agree on. Mm-hmm. So in early May, Republicans on the committee scrapped most everything that the governor has proposed so far. But you have had some very little bipartisan cooperation. So what's your assessment of where the budget process is right now and and how you think the rest of it might go? I think we're still pretty early in the process. Most of the really big ticket items we haven't even started to have executive sessions on. So we haven't started voting on how much money will actually be allocated. You know, I'm a hopeful person despite all evidence to the contrary. (laughs) And I think, you know, it's just so clear that Wisconsinites have shared priorities. We want our public schools funded you know, we want our communities to be safe. We want childcare. We want to basically have thriving communities. We want money going to local governments. And I think that there is really broad agreement amongst the public, and we just have to get the Republicans on the Finance Committee to recognize that and fund it. You know, fast forward to this week, you, alongside everybody else on the Joint Finance Committee, voted in favor of, of a series of measures aimed at bolstering the state's criminal justice system, pay raises for local prosecutors, for public defenders. I wonder, in your mind, how will those efforts make Wisconsin communities safer? Well, as an attorney, I think the criminal justice system is really, really important to function well, and I think we have to invest in it. You know, when you have people waiting too long for court dates, you're denying them justice. You know, like so many other fiscal challenges that our state faced, this was a crisis that was basically manufactured by Republicans where we had lagging pay for our public defenders and our prosecutors and, um, you know, artificially holding their salaries down by now funding it. And finally, it's really gratifying to see Republicans accepting the fact that, you know, Wisconsinites were being made less safe by this and it had really reached um, an untenable point. And, you know, the governor said, we have to fund this, we have to address it for public safety. And we got to bipartisan agreement. Yeah. What do you think was the difference now. They haven't made this investment in past budgets. Obviously, there's a large surplus. Why do you think that Republicans that control the legislature have come around to this, to doing this now? I think it's because there's a Democratic governor and uh, they couldn't hide from from their own record anymore, right? It's easy to do if you control state government completely. There's nobody to really hold you accountable, um, especially if you're in a gerrymandered majority. But, you know, Governor Evers out there every single day talking about public safety and keeping communities safe and saying, we have the money to do it. We've got a big budget surplus. It's past time to fix this. This is the governor's second term. And, you know, COVID aside, things are pretty gridlocked in his first term. What do you think the difference is now that they're finally at least working with, with you guys on some stuff? I think it's a, a combination of things. You know, certainly the fact that we have a surplus does make some of these fiscal choices easier, right? It's hard for the Republicans to argue that we can't afford X, Y, or Z when clearly we can. 
and when we've got even more growth projected in the next biennium. Um, secondly, you know, so much of the last four years, I think, were Republicans trying to prevent Governor Evers from being reelected. And when that didn't happen, and then when Judge Janet Protasiewicz was elected to the Supreme Court by a massive margin, I think it really shook them up. And, you know, they realized, like, they're not going to have the permanent lock on power that they have enjoyed for the last decade. And so they're trying to adjust to that reality. And, you know, hopefully that will mean good things for Wisconsinites. That's a perfect segue. The budget remains front and center for lawmakers, for those of us that cover the Capitol, but it's probably fairly abstract to, to most Wisconsinites. I wonder, though, like you said, the state Supreme Court race saw an incredible turnout. People were very energized by it. What should people expect in the weeks and months after Justice-elect Janet Protasiewicz takes the bench, which will be on, on August 1st? What should Wisconsinites be looking for from the court in those initial weeks and months once liberals have a majority on the court again? Well, I do not have any cases that I plan to bring. <laughs> but, you know, I think one of the things about a democracy generally and specifically about the court system is it does move pretty slowly, right? But I think that we will definitely see a significant shift in the court from what we've had in recent years, which is a lockstep conservative majority willing to rubber stamp anything that the gerrymandered GOP majority does. That is over. Now we have a majority on the Supreme Court and I don't think they're going to be a rubber stamp for anybody. These are independent-minded, ethical jurists who are going to be looking at, at issues based on what is the right thing to do, what does the Constitution say, what does the law say. And so everyday Wisconsinites are going to get a fair shake in the court. And that's a huge difference. You know, certainly big-ticket issues like whether or not abortion should be a crime in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. whether or not you can have a democracy if your maps are gerrymandered so that there's a permanent two-thirds majority in a state that's 50-50. I mean, these are issues that I think the court will take up probably in, in the first term. But, you know, I'm just an eager court watcher like everybody else. <laughs> just like everybody else. <laughs> I'm just waiting else. to see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so much of that race and you know, the ones before it have been driven by abortion access. I think I saw a poll pretty recently that was like almost like 73% of voters in the morning consult poll said you know, more than 70% of voters were basically driven by that to, to vote the way they did. So it's everywhere now. Abortion's everywhere now. But I've known you a while now. I've been covering you for a while now. You've been talking about this for a really long time. <laughs> and sometimes not in, in the gentlest tone of voice. You know. <laughs> Maybe not. No. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's good to have people paying attention now in your mind, but are you frustrated that it took this major change and elimination of the right to abortion to get people to pay attention and to be, kind of be motivated and care about it? Yeah, I, it is frustrating because the fact of the matter is every single person who needs an abortion and is unable to get it, their life will change forever. And so many lives are being ruined by not having access. And whether it's, you know, somebody with a medical emergency that then loses their fertility or you know, somebody who is not in a position to become a parent, but they have to be forced into it. And, you know, then they'll never be able to complete their educational goals. I mean, there is a human cost here. And as much as I think some people think about abortion as just an abstract political football, it is about people's lives and the most fundamental aspects of, of our humanity. You know, it's our bodies, it's our lives. And being a mother has, you know, I was really pro-choice, <laughs> you know, even since like my earliest political consciousness, because it was so clear to me that 
for women to have a role in society, we had to be able to control our own reproduction and our own bodies. But becoming a mother has made me even more pro-choice because I see how profoundly pregnancy changes your body and parenting, boy, it's really hard, even when you really want it and even when you've got you know all the support in the world. <laughs> we just, we do so little in this country to support children, infants, pregnant people, and it's a real disgrace. Uh, so that's a, kind of a long-winded thing, but yes, it's frustrating because a lot of people are suffering needlessly for something that should be a basic human right for every person. Did Democrats drop the ball on this for the last, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 50 years once Roe was in place? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think a lot of us got complacent. I'll, I'm going to exclude myself from that because <laughs> I feel like I was yelling stop that this could happen. I think there is this story about the arc of history, and Americans have this idea that our country is, we faced adversity, we faced challenges, but we right wrongs, and we overcome injustices. So to have this just incredible backwards shift, I think is shocking. The Trump presidency and the sort of madness and authoritarianism that we like descended into very quickly, I think it's really destabilizing. And, you know, the permanent after effect is what he did to the courts. And so we're going to be living with this for a long, long time. And fundamental constitutional principles that we all took for granted, like bodily autonomy, like separation of church and state, I think it will be decimated on a federal level until we can right that ship and until we have a court that is part of our democracy rather than sets itself above and apart from democracy. Looking ahead on that issue, there's the lawsuit the Attorney General Josh Calls got before this. The circuit, circuit court currently. Thank you. So many courts. <laughs> <laughs> expected Not enough to... judges, Jesse. That's what I hear. Yeah, it's expected to make its way before the state Supreme Court. Looking at, at that and looking at the possibility of resolving anything in the legislature, what are your thoughts on what that might look like going forward? What's your confidence in succeeding in the courts or succeeding in the legislature in written restoring abortion access? Well, I think the attorney general has a pretty strong case on the law. You know, I mean, when you have a law that's 170 years old and it hasn't been enforced, even before Roe v. Wade, it was not enforced. And then you have subsequent court decisions saying that it's not enforceable. And then you have many laws that were passed over the years that regulate the conduct that's supposedly a crime. You can't harmonize those laws, right? You can't have something that's both a regulated conduct and also a crime. So I think the court's going to look at that, and I'm hopeful that they're going to do the right thing um, on the law, which is to say, yeah, this is not an enforceable statute anymore, and that we'll hopefully have the restoration of legal abortion access in Wisconsin. I will point out that people can still obtain medication abortion here in Wisconsin and everywhere in the country by going to aidaccess.org. You can order it online. They will ship it directly to you. If you don't have the money, they will send it to you for free. It takes just a few days, and so you do have options. Moving on to another issue that the court can be very consequential in is voting rights and, and access to voting. According to the, the Cost of Voting Index, which is this group that calculates kind of a single measure of how difficult it is to vote in each state, Wisconsin has seen quite the backslide in the late 90s. It was the fourth easiest state to vote in. It was, mm -hmm. And fast forward to last year, and, and it was 47th. That's quite the drop. How important do you think the, the new liberal majority will be to, I guess, dictating voting rights or maybe expanding voting rights when we have seen certain avenues to voting be restricted by the court in recent years? 
I think it's incredibly important, right? Wisconsin and Minnesota used to just rival each other for having the best voter turnout. And, you know, we've had this huge efforts of voter suppression, not all of them legislative. I mean, certainly the Republican majority has done a number on voting, as did Scott Walker. But the court itself, when it was controlled by conservatives, was creating new voting restrictions that even, you know, weren't passed through the legislature. And I think that's really problematic. Um, we have come to expect our courts to be a backstop for people's rights, um, even though, you know, in the grand scheme of history, that isn't really what courts have done. But, you know, certainly for the last, like, 50, 60, 70 years, that's what we've expected. And I do think that the new majority will be much more sensitive to the effect of restriction on people's right to vote. And we can hopefully, hopefully we're not going to lose any more <laughs> um, access for voters. But I think that's definitely an area where, like, if you don't have the, a meaningful right to vote, then we really can't say that we live in a functional democracy. Speaking of voting, somehow the 2024 election season has already started <laughs> between our, our, you know, another consequential U.S. Senate race and presidential campaign that I assume Wisconsin is going to be will probably matter a little bit. <laughs> what are you watching for as we head into this new election season? I'm really hopeful and optimistic that there are going to be competitive districts in our state and that voters are finally going to have a say in who controls the legislature. I think we've had some phenomenal candidates over the last several cycles that are running in districts that are just impossible to win, and that when people actually have a choice, that we're going to see a legislature that might have a Democratic majority in one house and, and might actually reflect the will of the people a little bit better. And hopefully, regardless of who's in charge, it will force all legislators to be more accountable and responsive to what people want. You would be among the people on the ballot in 2024. Are you planning to seek re-election? I am, yeah, unless you, you know, make <laughs> me look really bad in this podcast. <laughs> You've run for other offices, Congress, governor. Do you think you ever would ever revisit something outside of the legislature? I'm very happy, and I understand why Fred Risser wanted to be at this seat for six decades, <laughs> because it's just wonderful to have an opportunity to work on the issues that I really am passionate about. And I do represent the best constituency. I, I just feel so lucky. This I'm district is. So you are too. Chef's kiss. I love this district. <laughs> We're talking with State Senator Kelda Royce. More to come. Wedge Issues is sponsored by Leopold's Books Bar Cafe, Madison's bookstore for night owls, serving craft cocktails, locally roasted coffee, and desserts every day from morning till midnight. More information at leopoldsmadison.com. Okay, are you ready for the lightning round? Uh-oh, okay. Okay, all right. Bring it on. Well, you were the second guest on the podcast back in 2018 when we started. When I talked to you then, I asked everybody about their favorite Wisconsin beer. You were not really a beer person. Has that changed at all, or are you still not so into it? It's, unfortunately, I am still not. Not much of a beer person, and I, I apologize for You're that. the only one. It's really even a bipartisan thing, I've learned. It is, yeah. it is. But at that time, Jesse allowed you, you know, to substitute that you were an old-fashioned person. And yes. instead of your favorite beer, who makes your favorite old-fashioned? Wow. Well, I, it's hard for me to find one that I don't like. That's all of us. I really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the ones that anybody else makes for me. That's my favorite one that I didn't have to make myself and then, you know, clean up the sticky <laughs> fingers and, yeah. 
what is your favorite knickknack or family heirloom or, or tchotchke that you own? Oh, boy, that's a great question. I've unfortunately had several wonderful of my female role model relatives die in the last year. And um, so I have a lot of incredible memorabilia from them. I have this capital candy dish from my grandmother, Irma, who was a civil rights activist. And I have a Votes for Women tea towel um, from my former stepmom, who was an abortion rights activist. And yeah, I feel really lucky to have had their influence. What song or artist are you currently listening to the most right now? Oh, man. Well, truthfully, it's the Matilda the Musical, because that's what my five-year-old <laughs> wants, and she always wants to sing the, you know, Revolting Children and Naughty, um, which tells you a lot about the vibe in my house these <laughs> days. But with summer coming, there will probably be a lot of Steely Dan. Ooh, Jesse, your face, I'm sorry about that. Sorry, I can't hold it. <laughs> I, I am a young Gen X, what can I say? Fair. That's fair. Speaks to me. <laughs> well, if you've had a long day at work, what is the comfort crave when you get home? Ice cream. I would say that's, you know, good Wisconsin girl. Hard to go wrong. I'm yeah. with you on that. Yeah. I was recently back from vacation where I had gelato 16 times in 14 days. So <laughs> I think you did it correctly. I wish, yeah. <laughs> Staying in food, what is your favorite sandwich? My favorite sandwich? Well, Tipsy Cow has a grilled chicken sandwich with guacamole and bacon and cheese. And it is very, it's, I actually have to shut the door when I eat. Because it's so messy, I need like eight napkins. <laughs> it's like a knife and fork sandwich. It's really good. <laughs> Are you reading anything not work-related right now? I'm reading a couple things right now. I'm reading Fair Play, which is a book about household inequality and how to solve it. I just started reading Fat Talk by Virginia Soul Smith, which is about how to parent your kids in this you know age of horrible diet culture and you know all the ways that we hate ourselves and, and our bodies. And I'm rereading Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Okay. <laughs> classic. Yes, absolutely classic. Have you seen the new movie? I haven't yet. I no, I always, you know, read the book first. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's shocking, like, how much of that book I actually remember. It must have just been seared on my brain when I read it as a child. <laughs> have you ever asked someone for their autograph? And who was it? Oh, yes. When I was, like, 10, I got an autographed picture of Madonna, which it was very exciting for me because the very first concert I went to that was like a rock concert was Blonde Ambition World Tour. And I still have that somewhere, although I don't know where. That's cool. Yeah. Are you ready for the last one? Yes. Okay. So again, I'll always end with asking about your favorite cheese. So you already answered this in 2018 and your favorite Wisconsin cheeses were Mobe and fresh cheese curds from the Dane County Farmer's Market. Any updates to that or additions uh, perhaps? I did just have some Forgotten Valley cheese curds couple weeks ago when I was at the farmer's market. So, so good. Yeah, I would say those are still my favorites. Um, also, anything Landmark makes. Landmark Creamery and Paoli is just spectacular. They're great. Yes. <laughs> Senator Keller Royce, thank you so much for joining Winter Cheese. Thanks, Jack and Jesse. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our show is sponsored by Leopold's Books Bar Cafe and edited by Haley Bowers. Our intro music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll have new episodes every other week. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend. And if you haven't already, sign up for Wedge Issues, the newsletter, at captimes.com newsletters. I'm Jesse O'Poyan. Thanks for listening.